Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Welcome to part two of our special feature on Jane Austen's books. Today, we're going to start in the middle with books three and four. Book number three, Mansfield Park, which I have to say, I have to say is, is my least favorite book. Let's you are that in the open. It was written between 1811 and 1813 at Chawton, the first book she actually wrote in her final house, and it was published in 1814. After the success of Pride and Prejudice, the publisher, of course, eagerly, I want some more stuff. And when he got Mansfield Park, his reaction was, let's revert to the previous arrangement where you prepay. So perhaps he did not anticipate commercial success with Mansfield Park. Here's the 32nd plot. Dull and spineless or brave and strong, Fanny Price is plucked from poverty, raised in dysfunction, but in the end has a happily ever after. The end. And now for a more intense plot summary. <laughs> intense. I have to say, just right off, she has my favorite name of all of Jane really? Austen's characters. Yes, Fanny Price. It just sounds like hmm. I would like somebody named Fanny Price. <sighs> Here we go. Once upon a time, there were three sisters. The eldest married a baronet and did very well indeed. The middle daughter didn't do so well in a material sense, but settled for a clergyman who could make her mistress of her own home. The third sister married a navy man for love, and she is the worst off with nine children, a small income, and the bloom gone off the young love almost immediately. Fanny Price, the ten-year-old daughter of this third impoverished woman, is invited to go live at her wealthy aunt and uncle's house, Thomas and Lady Bertram. That would be the first sister. And get educated as well as enjoy the benefits of wealth. So she is plucked from Portsmouth, this horrible, impoverished community. Squalid. And taken to live at Mansfield Park. She's to be raised with her four cousins and given every advantage. And the shy little Fanny has kind of a hard time adjusting. The baronet is distant and busy. Lady Bertram is basically a sleepwalker who lounges on sofas. Aunt Norris, that second daughter who married a clergyman, finds it much more fun to boss everyone around at the big house and makes Fanny's life miserable. And she openly favors cousins Mariah and Julia and snoots little Fanny um, and has to make her feel like a poor relation just on principle. She's dirty. She's dirty, and she pretty much abuses the child. Mm -hmm. She reminds me a little of that hairdresser in Jane Austen's brother's house. The hairdresser who would snoot Jane Austen as a poor relation, just as a matter of... Oh. What's the um, woman's name in Annie? The one Mrs. That's... Hannigan. Yeah, that's who I keep imagining. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Little girls. Well, Fanny wasn't even allowed a fire in her room. She's just too low for that. She could come where the fire was. Her girl cousins think she's backwards and stupid. I mean, she hasn't had an education, really. Her oldest cousin, Tom, the heir, honestly, he's too old to pay much attention to a little girl cousin. Like any college freshman-age guy, he's not mean, but he's not there, really. He's, yeah, his life is in a totally different place. Yeah. He doesn't need to spend time with her. So Fanny is pretty friendless, except for her cousin, Edmund, who shows her kindness and listens to her right away and helps her out of her homesickness. Let me fast forward. She grows up, she's shy and distant. So does she have a stiff spine or is she just repressed and abused? I guess that's a question I have through this entire novel. 
Yeah, as Fanny grows up, all the patterns pretty much hold true. Edmund, still nice, even gets a horse in his own name because no one is going to give Fanny one, and he basically deeds it to her. Aunt Norris thinks Fanny doesn't deserve such an expensive thing. Fanny is to be useful, and she is to be grateful. What a life. What Damn a life. it. <laughs> I know. Uncle Bertram is gone for a year to look over his estates in, in what we say Antigua, but they would say Antigua. Antigua. Um, it's a major source of income for him, and quite a bit happens all of a sudden. Basically, the second he leaves... <laughs> The controlling one is gone. Lady Bertram is pretty useless. She's camped out on the sofa. So what happens? These are teenage kids. They play. Well, Mariah gets engaged to a rich gentleman, kind of a neighbor. He's dumb and embarrassing, but, you know, loaded. Mr. Rushworth. We're going to have houses in town. We're going to have carriages and millions of servants and blah, blah, blah. Aunt Norris's husband died, and she moved on in, and the replacement down at the parsonage has some fabulously exciting young relatives to stay, Henry and Mary Crawford. They're wealthy and very lively. Oh, the arrival of these worldly beautiful Crawfords caused some hijinks. Mary is determined to marry an eldest son, and literally cannot believe she is falling in love with a younger son and a clergyman. Ew. And Edmund thinks she's pretty callous, but so pretty. and can't stop thinking about her. And hot old Henry decides just to mess with people, because that's what he does, and make both Julia and Mariah fall in love with him. And he loves to wind up Mariah's fiancé, just for giggles, just because he can. But while Daddy's away, they're going to put on a play, an actual play based on the lover's vows, which is kind of a steamy topic. Mariah and Mr. Crawford get to practice a love scene. Fanny and Julia both stay clear for different motives. Fanny stays clear because she doesn't think this is a moral thing to do. Julia stays clear because she didn't get the part she wanted. (laughs) But still, they're both in the clear. When Papa slash Uncle comes home and puts a stop to this, Henry Crawford just takes off, leaving Mariah, who thought she might be on the verge of being proposed to, just um, flailing. So she just marries old Rushworth after all for money and position, and they take Julia on the honeymoon. That is, sure. Let's take her. Well, it's actually not that unusual, but in this case, Mariah does not wish to hang out with Mr. Doofus, so she needs someone else to hang out with. Someone that she can talk with. Back at home, Mary and Edmund do continue their courtship. Henry doesn't have anybody to play with anymore, so he has to set his sights on Fanny. And spending time with her, he does start to fall for her. Yeah, he started out thinking he was going to play that same old game. You know, hello, I'm very, very charming hot man. Don't you want to fall under my spell? But here's Fanny's armor. It may have worked. But for this, actually, Fanny was secretly in love with Edmund. Her heart was already given away. She didn't have any heart left to give. Although I'm not entirely sure at this point she realizes it herself. And when she's comparing Henry to Edmund, there's no comparison. Yeah. Yeah, Edmund is, is morally... Superior to Henry. And he has an eight-year head start, (laughs) by the way. But he loves this game, kind of, because he has fallen in love with her hard. He proposes, and she refuses, which shocks everyone. Everyone's not really happy, especially Uncle Thomas, who is quite pissed. She blew her chance at marriage. I mean, he did what he said he would do and raise her. And now she won't leave. Yeah, this offer to someone with that background to refuse this is just madness. Her uncle tells Henry, don't give up. Don't give up. We got a plan. And then he sends Fanny 
home, but her 10-year-old home. He sends her back to Portsmouth, her squalid, poor home, on a visit to remind her of where she had come from and how good this offer really is. In that regard, it's true. That's exactly what happened. It's so much worse than she remembered. And more sad to me is no one cared that she was there. <laughs> I think she had in her mind that she was going to go come home and her mama would cry and the prodigal daughter returned. There would be yeah. hugging and want to hear about everything, my dear. Let me, t-. but it was nothing, nothing. Pretty bewildering. Everyone just went on and there's this furniture that happened to be Fanny that was there. It was right. a little, you know, confusing to everyone. Some of her brothers and sisters she didn't even know because they'd been yeah. born after she'd left. Just Susan, beloved younger sister Susan. Again, we have that name there's in the book. Susan. And that's the, you know, one. <laughs> so she's pretty vulnerable. Good job, Uncle B. And Henry proves his true love. Henry does visit her in Portsmouth. He continues to pursue her. His sister, meanwhile, is sending her letters telling Fanny to marry Henry. They're in on this together. Henry says he has to head back to take care of some estate business. Well, what he does, this is the one good thing Henry Crawford does that's tangible. He used some pull to get Fanny's older brother promoted. That's a big deal because you couldn't get ahead without some influence. And you see, Henry had been raised by an admiral. And so he basically put a word in, bullied his uncle into getting William promoted. That is a big deal. That was a very big and genuine help to that family. But still, Fanny refuses him. So Henry shows his true colors. He ran into Mariah at a party and then ran away with her. Married Mariah is shacking up with Henry. Scandal! Her husband's not going to want any of this, so he sets about to divorce her. Julia runs away with an unsuitable husband. Tom is deathly ill. All hell is breaking loose. The Bertrams get Fanny back. A-S-A-P. They're beloved, they discover. And, you know, bring Susan, too. Yeah. It's like, holy crap, let's bring some wholesome people back in this environment, please. And then Mary shows her true colors. There's a lot of flag-waving here. She thinks it's Fanny's fault for keeping Henry waiting. And anyway, it's just too bad the news got out. It's not that the adultery part was bad. It's that the news was bad. Oh, it's just too bad that got out. And the other thing she does is she suggests that if Tom dies, then yay, Edmund will inherit some money. So here's Tom, deathly ill, maybe on the verge of dying. And she's saying, oh, that might not be terrible, right? I know. That's their brother! So Edmund and Mary break up. Finally, Edmund sees what's been apparent to us from about page 10 and realizes that Fanny's the girl for him. First cousins marry, Tom gets better, Mariah has to live in exile with Aunt Norris, and Julia is just fine. The end. The end. That's basically the whole story. So, (sighs) book Fanny is an (laughs) (laughs) Mary Crawford is a much more interesting person um, I think a tiny tweak could have fixed her just enough. But I like Mary Crawford better, and I'm not alone in that. Okay, I'm going to share something. I told Beckett before the can- the microphone went on that I had a surprise for her. I got a letter from a mutual acquaintance of ours. Hmm. And she said this. Are you doing a mini-cast on the books? She said, I will be very disappointed if someone doesn't give props to Jane's dear Fanny Price who has the stiffest spine of all heroines, in spite of a horrific upbringing and constant abuse. And yeah, she's seriously annoying because of that, but 
that's better than being seriously annoying because you're clever, handsome, rich, and indulged like that effing Emma. <laughs> Um, who ends up marrying her creepy neighbor, and you just know she's going to call him Mr. Knightley, Mr. Knightley, even when they are, you know. Yeah, I heard she's your favorite. You're both wrong. So, Beckett, who wrote that? I have no idea. Yes, you do. No? Mm-mm. Jill? Oh. <laughs> well, Jill, um, the props given to Fanny will have to remain yours. So, Jill, see, this is the thing about the books. Everybody's got their favorite, and they defend it to the death. Uh-huh. Um, I got nothing for book Fanny Price. I have nothing. I Sucks know. to be you. I'm sorry you didn't develop into a more interesting person. <laughs> that said, I can see where one might like her. My characterization of her remains... Honestly, Mary Crawford wins. I'm sorry. In any contest, Mary Crawford wins. She probably married better anyway. She probably had way she, more fun. Oh, she landed with her feet on the ground. She, you I know she had better bonnets, for one thing. Yeah, she's dressed way better. Yeah. More carriages. That's what was important to her. Well, I'm just saying, I, many people thought Mary Crawford ought to have been more developed. And Henry Crawford was the better match for Fanny. Because... How much better would it have been for Fanny to reform this guy? Yes, that's true. That is a better ending. Because Edmund, it's like, dude, I can eat vanilla pudding all day. I suppose. Fanny liked vanilla pudding. I know. Vanilla is the most popular ice cream flavor. I'm not defending this as my favorite book because it was not. Not even close. The end. I do. Okay, here's the funny part, Jill. I swear to you, this is written on my piece of paper. It's written on a piece of paper. I'm looking at it right now. I think this one inspires more ferocious love or complete hate with nothing in the middle. (laughs) I literally wrote that, and you have just proved my point. Um, It's often referred to as a lesser Austin. They can't all be the best, but it's still an Austin. I mean, we're still sitting here talking about it. That is true. So... So, on to the movies. Here was a 1999 Mansfield Park, which is highly criticized because the Fanny Price in that movie is actually good. good. <laughs> okay. She's interesting, but she's, a, she's kind of like a mashup between Fanny Price and Jane Austen. I wrote, perhaps the true Janeite might hate it. I'm going to amend that to say the true Janeite will hate it. I love it. Yeah, I thought it was a really good movie. It was. It's so controversial, though. I mean, if you... (laughs) People are going to slap each other in the face over this on Mm -hmm. the forums. It's just everyone so dismissive, hates it. Why did they bring in this slavery thing? I like the fact that it brought in some modern elements. Here's what I think happens with a lot of the movies. Almost all of them. There will be a BBC, a respectable one that people like, that follows the text. Then there will be an adaptation that translates for the modern viewer what we might have felt had we lived in the same society as Jane Austen. It corrects for our emotions. Like it's a cost of living uh, (laughs) transfer or whatever of emotions. And it tweaks it enough to make us feel the same way they might have reading the original. Because a lot of the context is gone. Right. So that's it is what it is. You like it or you don't. I am not a purist. I believe in, you know, bring the story home, whatever way you got to bring it home. I'm going to agree with you 100%, because I liked, I enjoyed watching this movie. I thought it was yeah. it was pretty to look at. It was well-filmed. I thought the dialogue was clever. I, I mean, obviously, I liked Fanny a whole lot more in the movie, but they took a lot of liberties. Yeah, well, yeah. there's a lot of liberties. Now, Frances O'Connor, um, who is now Mrs. Selfridge, 
by the way, on Masterpiece Ooh, Classic, very nice. um, plays the main character, and I think she does a really good job. The 2007 version, so bad, so bad. If we thought Judy Garland in a blonde wig would be a travesty, Fanny Price in a, I don't even know if it's a wig, or if it's just Clorox, I don't even know. <laughs> um, the 2007 one is kind of universally bleh. Watch it if you want. I don't, you know. And 1983 one is um, kind of true to the book, and it's kind of the classically regarded one. Although, I think, given how people like the true-to-the-book adaptations, I think Mansfield Park is ripe for a BBC adaptation that's a little more recent. Oh. Perhaps. Perhaps, producers listening, maybe your opening has arrived. Or people who write letters. So, I don't have a lot of fanfic for this. It's kind of thin. I think a lot of people don't. Sorry, Jill. Jill should write a fanfic. <gasps> Jill she should, should write a fanfic. She should write a sequel. I think the, the field is open. There's one that I thought was kind of interesting. I haven't read it. It's gotten some good reviews. It's called Ladies' Mead by Jane Gillespie. And what it does is follows Mariah and Mrs. Norris in their exile. So, it shouldn't interfere too much with the text as they disappear. Mm-hmm. Right. So, it's... Completely invented and shouldn't interfere too much with the original enjoyment of the story. And then there's a modern one um, called The Trouble with Flirting by Claire Lazebrick. That's a uh, young adult novel that has also received some good reviews. All I have is Metropolitan. <laughs> the 1990 met- movie Metropolitan is based on this. I didn't know that. Contemporary upper class college students on winter break during the debutante season. You know. Loosely based on Mansfield Park. Let's see. What is my favorite quote here? Let other pens dwell on guilt and misery. I quit such odious subjects as soon as I can. Impatient to restore everybody, not greatly in fault themselves, to tolerable comfort and to have done with all the rest. Well said, Jane Austen. Let's move on. That's good because my favorite quote is the end. Poor Mansfield Park. <laughs> Now we move on to book number four, Emma. My favorite. Sorry, Jill. Sorry, Jill. It's my favorite, too. <laughs> Sorry. Written in 1814, entirely at Chawton, and published in 1815. And let's go to the 30-second summary. Emma Woodhouse, handsome, clever, and rich, with a comfortable home and happy disposition, seemed to unite some of the best blessings of existence and had lived nearly 21 years in the world with very little to distress or vex her. Until there was quite a bit to distress and vex her. And herein lies the lessons of Emma Woodhouse. The end. So now for the plots. So the curtain opens on the year in question, the year of vexation. (laughs) She is the first lady of Highbury, her village. Her father is the owner of one large estate... And her unmarried brother-in-law, Mr. Knightley, is the master of the other one. So she's the highest-ranking woman in the vicinity. Emma has just been left at a loose end. Her governess, slash friend, because she's too old for a governess, you know. There, she's a companion now. Has just married a local gentleman. And Emma is taking credit for having made that match. We don't actually know how much she's done, because it all happens off stage. 
and a recent graduate of Mrs. Goddard's school named Harriet Smith kind of comes to fill the void and becomes her new project. Very mysterioso. Who are Harriet Smith's parents? Well, obviously, Emma decides it's a gentleman that is her father. Since she'd been so successful at matchmaking for the new Mrs. Weston, she decides she's going to find a mate for Harriet. Now, Emma has already decided that she's not going to marry. Why should she? She has everything she needs. Right. Position, money, acquaintances, fashion. Yeah, she's got it all. So why marry? So, so Emma decides that Harriet needs a gentleman. Even though Harriet has already come to the table with a proposal from a Mr. Robert Martin, but he is only a farmer. Well, not he's a well-to-do farmer, but he's a farmer and not a gentleman. Harriet can do so much better, Emma thinks. She needs to marry the village vicar, Mr. Elton. Harriet believes all of Emma's build-up. This guy likes you! He really likes you until it all blows up. This is worthy of a Three's Company episode, if you remember that show from the 70s. <laughs> it's Come and knock on my door. Exactly. It's misunderstandings and assumptions from here on out. Mm. Oh, in the background, I should add Mr. Knightley, the neighbor, brother-in-law, and really best friend of Emma, has been rolling his eyes a lot. He rolls his eyes pretty much through the whole thing. Yeah. He sees right through her. He sees every move she makes. Well, he's known her since she was zero. Yeah. So you know you can't pull the wool over people's eyes. No. no matter how much yeah. you develop into another person, those people knew you when you were a little kid. So, advantage, Mr. Knightley. <laughs> Mr. Elton wants Emma. Now, who wouldn't? First Lady of Highbury. And he is so offended, both by Emma's rejection and her assumption that he was right for Harriet Smith. Like, who is that? Am I that low to you? That he just takes off for Match.com, <clears throat> Bath, and marries the most delightfully vulgar person in all of Jane Austen. <laughs> Mrs. Elton is so horrible that I just want to give her a kiss on both cheeks. I just love her. <laughs> She's just yeah. you horrible. Have to, it's great to read something that you can with somebody in it that you can just hate. That's fun. Some newcomers come to town. Enter Frank Churchill. A son of the town, adopted far away by rich relatives, just like Jane Austen's brother Edward. He's widely assumed to be intended for Emma. Everyone thinks so. Also coming to town is beautiful Jane Fairfax. Emma sees her as competition in the popular girl category <laughs> and can't help but flirt up Mr. Frank Churchill whenever Jane is around. Just to prove she can, mostly. Because Emma is again convinced... He would be perfect for her friend Harriet. Now, is this a love quadrangle, quintangle? I don't even know. Harriet has a secret. I'm in love with someone above my station. Okay, Frank Churchill, hooray, says Emma. Mm, first problem, Frank has been secretly engaged to Jane Fairfax this whole time. But they're hiding it. Because Frank needs to marry into some money, and Jane doesn't have it. What is going on? Okay, then who is it? It's Mr. Knightley. Oh, Mr. Knightley this whole time? That infuriates Emma. But why does it infuriate Emma? It's just Mr. Knightley, who she's known since she was zero. Oh, wait a minute. I love Mr. Knightley. Oh. So there's Frank, Jane, Emma, Harriet, and Mr. Knightley. I guess that would be a quintangle of love. But poor old Harriet. Poor old Harriet. For the second time, the guy prefers Emma's charms. 
Emma plus Mr. Knightley, Jane Fairfax plus Frank. Where does that leave Harriet? Luckily, luckily for Harriet, actually, her farmer, who has been patiently waiting for this social madness to pass, he proposes again. He's never stopped loving her. And everyone settles into their proper place. The end. You know, I can't defend that it's my favorite. It's just emotional. It, I don't know. The picnic scene where Emma forgets herself and really rips Jane Fairfax's aunt apart is the best. I think about it every time I lose my cool at work. Well, you know you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But yet it's delicious to just let it go uh-huh. sometimes. Yes. I like that she she's a she's a train wreck. She keeps even though she's supposedly very smart, mm-hmm. she keeps messing up and not learning from her mistakes. And it's just as a comedy, that's pretty funny. But she never loses her steam. She never loses her determination. Even when Mister Knightley is telling her how she's screwing up, she's still forward. It's like one of those remote control cars that has the bumper on the front, yeah. and when it hits a wall, it just boop goes a different direction. Yep. It's good, and there are some secondary characters in this that I love. I love Mr. Woodhouse. He is adorable. He's, like, worried about everybody's digestion the whole time. Um, like a big, selfish baby, kind of. I mean, Emma's the boss of the house. She's been the boss for, what, six, seven years now. She's got it under control, which is even funnier that she loses her crap on other aspects of her life. She's the mistress of the house That's and the master, frankly. <laughs> um, and then Mrs. Bates as a character, I'm afraid, might be me. You check with me in 20 years, and I'll be a telemarketer's nightmare. You're not a telemarketer's nightmare? Well, I don't now? answer the phone now. Oh, okay. Well, that would explain it. <laughs> but I love, and then Mrs. Elton is just so vulgar. I just love it. I love the El- the Eltons because they're just such social climbing jerkheads. Twists. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yep. I love the fact that Mrs. Elton is so not at Jane Fairfax's level for, you know, sweetness, gentleness, gentility or anything. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'll take you under my wing. Gross. <laughs> I love it. So everybody's reactions when this book came out, they insisted on comparing Emma to Lizzie Bennet. It's not everyone that can be Lizzie Bennet. She's a different character. Yeah. Emma really does only have her inner life to battle. She doesn't have any externals the way Lizzie did either. The whole thing is more internal than Pride and Prejudice. You think so differently in your 30s and 40s than you did in your teens. It's all quieter. It's the same misunderstandings from Pride and Prejudice. It's just less slapsticky. You know, Catherine de Bourgh doesn't show up and freak out. Right. Because that's, you know, that's overt. This is more calm. Like, she has to realize things. Like, in front of the mirror when she realizes, hey, wait, I was sick to my stomach, so maybe I'm in love? Or Well, I like that there's finally a character that has, a female that has some leadership qualities within the community. Yeah. And obviously she's the wealthiest of all the Austin heroines. Mm-hmm. So that adds a little element of gotcha right at the beginning. And it's the only novel that's named after the the heroine, after a woman's name. So movie adaptations, um, 1996's Emma, with starring Gwyneth Paltrow. We kind of differ on this one. Well, it's I love this movie, but I'm it's poor editing is yeah. really striking and Based on Susan's reaction when I told her my parts that I hated so much that were poorly edited, I think I'm not going to share them with you because I don't want to spoil it. Um, but there's some weird lighting in places and some weird cuts. And, but even with those technical problems, you know, I'm no stranger to technical problems. Yeah. The history text, so I can forgive it, but it's so, it's so lively and it's so good. And you can yeah. kind of just, everybody's really 
polished. Yeah, I, that's what I liked about I'm able to forgive all that stuff. I don't even see it because I'm so wrapped up in Gwyneth Paltrow's Emma. I thought she was British, which is funny because I saw her in this and then Sliding Doors, which is another good movie, not period, but go see Sliding Doors. Uh-huh. I, like it. I think it's on Netflix. It's really good. It's about um, time travel and what would have happened, and it's really good. So it's awesomely cast, the possible exception of uh, Harriet. I didn't think Harriet was... I just think she was kind of miscast, Harriet. Oh. It's the girl from um, Muriel's Wedding, Tony Collette. I don't know. Oh, yeah. He's... Jeremy Northam is the best, Mr. Knightley. I'm sorry, all future Mr. Knightleys. He wins. He wins the game. And, Jill, we call him Mr. Knightley. I call my own husband Mr. Graham, <laughs> Jill. I still do. He's in my contacts on my phone as Mr. Graham. Man, I hope if I get in a car wreck, they know who to call. Maybe I should put... Husband Mr. Graham? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should put him in there as that. And I also love that the woman that plays Mrs. Elton had this little verbal tick. If you'll watch her, she never talks unless her mouth is full of food. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's a really good little shtick that they put through the whole movie. And then there's the 2009 Emma. It's Romola Garai. I don't know how to say her last name. She was really good in Vanity Fair with Reese Witherspoon, if you have ever seen that movie. It's another BBC, and I do, again, same thing with Pride and Prejudice, and Emma, and Sense and Sensibility. The English versions are more true to the text, but again, you know, people that like the thing to run right through the same way as the book will like this one better. I I say, why don't you just read the book? Yes. If you want it to be true to the book, read the book. However, Edmund from Mansfield Park movie as Mr. Knightley, no, no, no. (laughs) That's my only note on the 2009 Emma. Then we move to a much more fun version. Oh my gosh, so much fun. The 1995 Clueless with Alicia Silverstone. I just love this one. Everybody does. And Paul Rudd as Mr. Knightley. The improving book she wanted to read was Fit or Fat. I just love that. That makes me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes through the change, too. She turns from an unreasonable snob into a more accepting person. As to books, there are two... Books by Joan Austen Lee, and if that name sounds familiar, it's because her great-grandpa was Jane Austen's nephew. So she's legit. Uh, A Visit to Highbury, and also Later Days at Highbury, which takes you through um, the future life of Emma and Mr. Knightley. And then also, written by Joan Aiken, Jane Fairfax, The Secret Story of the Second Heroine in Jane Austen's Emma, which tells the story from Jane Fairfax's viewpoint. Here's my favorite quote from Emma. <laughs> I always deserve the best treatment because I never put up with any other. Good strategy, Jane Austen. This is the last of the books that went out the way Jane wanted them because this, Emma, is the last book that went out before Jane succumbed to her illness. So this is the last one in which we have the final hand of Jane Austen really tweaking and perfecting the way she would have wanted it. And that brings us to the end of today's minicast. Stay tuned for the finale, books five and six. Uh, coming very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. For show notes, links to the things we talked about today, or to donate, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at thehistorychicks with an X, or like us on Facebook without an X. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Our music comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. Oh, my.